You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Dr. Lowe Show. I am Dr. Laura Noel, your host, and I'm looking forward to this episode. I think it's going to be something a lot of you will resonate with, as I definitely have. And um, before we jump into it, just some exciting things happening. So um, as many of you know, I have a a naturopathic medical practice here in um, San Diego, actually in Solana Beach. And we are in the process of moving to a bigger space, really close by, just down the road. It's actually walking distance from our current spot. So that that's very, very exciting. And if you want to see kind of the behind the scenes of some of that, you can go and um, follow us on Instagram at shine natural medicine. And yeah, it's a pretty cool dream. You know, we opened back in 2013. I didn't really have any legit business experience. I'd have little jobs here and there and to be expanding to a bigger space and being able to help more and more people. It's it's very exciting. So that is awesome. If you are local in San Diego, we do treat patients obviously locally. If you don't live nearby, I also work with patients all over the country via phone. So if you've been hearing on the show different things that spark your interest, maybe you're resonating with some topics we talk about, maybe you're thinking that you have some health issues you want to look into, some of the testing that we do at Shine, we'd be happy to work with you. We have a whole team of doctors and what we do really works. I can say that very confidently from the thousands of patients we've seen over the last few years. It's just incredible. So don't wait. If you're having, you know, feelings that you think there's something to look into, or maybe you're not resonating with resonating with your doctor, reach out to us, shinenaturalmedicine.com. You can learn more about how we work and then give us a ring and we can book an appointment. So I would love to work with you. Let's see, what else did I want to tell you? I think that's main main thing for announcements. So let me ask you, if you can just kind of check in with yourself right now, would you classify yourself as lonely? Would you classify yourself? Would you say that you're isolated? Are you starving for connection? Are you on your phone too much? <laughs> Do you feel like it's hard to uh, connect with other people sometimes? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, you're not alone. It turns out that we really are wired to be social and so much of the suffering and pain we feel is simply because we don't have that connection with other people. So my guest on this episode really drives this topic home and it resonated so much with me that I am really considering bringing in more of um, group work into my practice just because of how therapeutic and effective it is when we connect with each other and really do our healing together. So um, I'm excited to share this episode and uh, without further ado, let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. We have a brand new guest on the show, someone who is brand new to me, and it was awesome being able to chat with her before recording, and I'm so excited for this episode. I think it's going to be a topic that 
so many of you will resonate with. A few weeks back, we had James Maskell on the show to talk about his book, The Community Cure. And while we were recording the show, he mentioned a doctor who is actually practicing the power of community in her medical practice. So right away, I was like, I got to talk to this girl. I got to have her on the show. So I stalked her on Instagram and, <laughs> and now she's on the show. So we're going to talk about how this actually is implemented. So who is this show for? This is for anyone. This is for someone who, you know, wants to be healthier. We're going to talk about the health benefits of community and really, you know, how this needs to be something you focus on if you don't already. And this is also for health practitioners too, who maybe don't do this necessarily in their practice like this, but who want to, and who just want their patients to be healthier. Because if you're not using this as an element, then you're missing out on a huge piece that can really elevate their health um, and also make you a lot happier as a doctor because it'd probably be a lot of fun too. So anyways, my guest is Dr. Michelle Paris, and she's a naturopathic doctor as well. She's a community builder, a speaker, women's empowerment advocate, and mother. She is the clinic director of the Poppy Clinic, which is an integrative medical clinic, and she's the creator of the community health initiative called Rebel Tribe. Love it. Michelle maintains a private practice in the city of Oakville, where while also dedicating her time on cultivating a community health programs aimed at health education and women's empowerment. She believes that connection is essential for optimal health. She's passionate about helping women of all ages and life stages, how to listen to their bodies, and tune into the wisdom inside, helping them create a life that feels good to live with energy and passion that had been long forgotten. As a naturopathic doctor, Michelle is immensely passionate about helping women and their families become their own best health advocate and believes that empowered health conscious individuals can achieve a superior quality of life. Michelle, Dr. Michelle, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I know. I'm so excited to have you. And you have a podcast too. So what's your, is it Rebel Tribe? It's Rebel Talk. Yeah. Rebel We're Talk. very on brand here. Yeah. Yes. Rebel Talk. <laughs> and this is a very rebellious topic because it's, uh, you know, medicine isn't like this. You go into a conventional doctor's office, maybe Kaiser on these big buildings, and it's like all about patient confidentiality, which I totally get that. Like there is something to be said for that. But they, a lot of times these, these kind of sterile environments, they miss out on, on just this whole this whole thing. So let's let, before we jump into it, I would love to know why is this a thing you're passionate about? Like, why is this something that you've really dove into? Yeah, I think my connection to community is deeply personal. So really struggling with feeling like I belonged anywhere as a child and a young adult, I think really stuck with me. Um, and you know, those things that we, we struggle with and want clarity or understand better when we're younger, we usually transform that, that pain and turn it into our power, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think when I finally found my people in naturopathic medicine and understood what it meant to belong, I really wanted other people to be able to access the magic of that because my world completely shifted when I actually felt understood and heard and validated and all of those beautiful things. And so um, I think what gets me out of bed every day and, and gets me to keep going uh, is, is the fact that this is deeply personal, but I also know in my clinical practice that... Um, when I would do like one-off detox, like group detoxification programs, I really saw the way that we were able to elevate the health of those individuals was like massive. There was a more profound shift. It made the change easier. They felt supported. The outcomes were more impressive. And so I think, you know, the, 
the colliding of those two aspects was like, I have to move in this direction. And then seeing like all the research um, that's being published about isolation and the damaging effects of, of loneliness and that really that it's the leading all cause mortality. I mean, this is something we need to be talking about and screaming from the rooftops about how we're properly assessing this and addressing this in our, with our patients, you know, because we're really amazing at talking about the nutrition and the lifestyle factors and quitting smoking and sleep. But if, if, loneliness and isolation are le like leading the charge there. If, if it's shortening our lifespan by eight years, we're finding, I mean, we need to have a really evolved conversation about that. What, for people who don't know what that means, what's all cause mortality? What does that mean exactly? So when we, when we look at the totality of everything, so it's not, obviously loneliness is not directly leading to mortality, but when we factor in all the causes it is the leading all cause mortality. So more than poor nutrition, more than diet, more than um, certain lifestyle habits, it has a bigger impact on our health than those individual factors. So wild. And I, I think about like the health folks that are doing everything perfectly, like their diet is flawless, they're exercising all the time, they're tracking, it, tracking their food, their macros, all the things, right? But yeah. maybe they're stuck behind a computer and they have like no friends. I mean, exactly. And yeah. yeah, it's, it's beautifully put because I think if we understood how we were wired socially, how essential it is for us to feel calm and all the things that we care about, like, are you in a parasympathetic state? Are you able to sleep deeply? If we knew that connection was essential to all of that, we would probably prioritize it differently. Yeah. That's an observation I have. I love watching videos of, of centenarians and seeing how they operate. And they're always like cracking up and they always have people around them. Like they're very much about togetherness with other people. Have you noticed that? Yeah, percent. Like I love that you bring that up. It's so true. And same with when we're looking at the blue zones, those who right. are more likely to be centenarians. Um, connection and community is essential. It's a factor in all of those areas. Yeah. Let's talk about the science of it. You talked about before we, we started recording and I super geeked out in my brain. I love this part. So talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So it is so important to realize how our brain is wired when we're actually in a state of non-thinking. Our brain is social patterning. It's Try, it's figuring out how we fit in the social world. And so knowing that our brain is always thinking socially and trying to associate how we fit in in the world. And we, it comes from like, you know, attachment parenting when we're younger, like how we're attached to our parents and how we evolve to start to adopt the thoughts um, as teenagers to the community around us. We are completely, our brain is completely changed, trained to think socially. Wow. The two areas in our brain that experience pain Actually, when, when they study it in, in functional MRI, when you experience physical pain or social rejection, and this can even be perceived social rejection, like you could think something happened, even though it may, whether or not it did or didn't actually doesn't matter because the way your brain responds is the same to your brain responds to your arm breaking. Oh so gosh. much like I talk to people, like if you would take yourself to the hospital, get that casted, you would tend to that broken arm. We need to tend to the social pain we're experiencing. Whoa, mind blown. 
Yeah. And so other areas where we can look at this and understand this a little bit better is, you know, what happens to our body when we experience social pain? Because I think as naturopathic doctors, we're really good at understanding our, you know, our sympathetic nervous system and like talking about having these evolved conversations about what, why we need to care about stress and what it, it, how it impacts the body. But when we look at the brain and when it fires up to social rejection or evaluation or exclusion, three things happen. We stimulate the vagus nerve. We stimulate our sympathetic nervous system. So we upregulate norepinephrine and epinephrine. We stimulate those adrenal glands, which I'm sure you've talked about many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that stress response, and we re- release cortisol. And all of these byproducts from social pain end up increasing our inflammation. And so we know when we're talking to individuals about chronic inflammation, chronic pain, autoimmunity, that, you know, we're doing all the other things. Are you sleeping? Are you getting outside? Are you getting sunlight? Are you eating an anti-inflammatory diet? The other thing we need to add in there is, are you making time for connection? Yeah. I was thinking about how maybe the first question that doctors should ask, given that it's the top you know, factor all all cause mortality. Tell me about your social connection. Like it should be the first question. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because now I obviously do prioritize that in visits and you'll, you'll almost meet like a blank stare of like, why, why is this even important? Right. Right. So it's, it's not even being prioritized in our thinking is like, how does that pertain to our health? So we're not realizing how much it's affecting and loneliness is on the rise and our youngest population is the most vulnerable. So, wow. you know, this is, we're only going to see rises in this unless we get louder about it and provide viable solutions for people. Do you know much about like the stats of, of the young folks and how lonely they are? Yeah, I do. Um, so it's, it's like 20 to 50% of our younger population experiences loneliness some of the time. Uh, or no, chronic loneliness. 80% mm-hmm. of our younger population experiences loneliness some of the time. Whoa. 80%. So if, if this were any other condition, we, like, we'd be calling this a global health crisis. Do you know how that compares just to like adults in general? Adults as well, like I, similar statistics of, in terms of experiencing situ, like periodic loneliness. Mm-hmm. I do think chronic loneliness is a little bit lower. Oh, yeah. uh, is, is, uh, sorry. Um, not as high as as our younger population until you get into like elderly and, and isolation for various reasons. Like, are you actually in, um, are you far, do you live far removed from your family? Are you in a situation where you're actually not able to be physically with people that lends further loneliness? So obviously the statistics would rise at an older age, but yeah. Yeah. So I assume for the younger younger folks, it's related to social media, right? Correct. Smartphones and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And this perceived feeling that you're connecting with people. Exactly. I was walking by two teenagers the other day, walking together, both their head down in that like phone position. And it's just like, it's just the way, you know, we're moving unless we're having really serious conversations about how we're controlling this for a younger population, because they really are experiencing more um, anxiety, depression, and loneliness as from exposure to social media. How, as a new mom, I'm asking selfishly, but I know a lot of people listening are parents and you're a mom too. So mm-hmm. how do we, how do we address this for our young, our younger generation? 
we have to have really honest conversations of how to police this and prioritizing it, right? So um, being very careful. I have a recommendation for someone for you to bring on the podcast, by the yes, way. But, um, okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. Krista Burns does amazing work on digital um, dementia and how we're seeing oh like even the physiology change in our younger population due to the fact that the way you're hunched over looking at technology is very similar to how when people's nervous system and spinal um, body will shift as as having dementia like and they're actually seeing the brains are correlating so this is something mm -hmm. that we need to be very careful about and need to have be very stringent in terms of how we're having we're structuring conversations around technology it's mm -hmm. hard to mitigate there's some awesome things about technology for our younger population but you want to like carve in definite times where there's tech tech free times yeah i think she was saying the average teenager in the u.s or child is on I like technology like five hours a day or something. Yeah. It's like unbelievable. The statistics. I'm on there a lot. I can't lie. I mean, I use social media a lot and I mean, it's yeah. nuts. sometimes it's, I'll get the notice and it's like, you were on your phone four hours a day on average. I'm like, what? Yeah. So it's shocking. You, I know yeah. I'm guilty of it too. Certainly not judging anybody here. Um, but, you know, I try to set like, boundaries with it and, and I just, I, I mean, I'm so conscious of when other people are, are on their phone when they're around me and I always call them on it. I'm like, like what you doing? You know, it's like yeah. we're hanging out right now. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, right. So like, you know, if you made it a rule there was no technology at dinner time. There was no right. technology for the hour before bed. No talk technology for the hour you wake up. At least that's 3 hours of the day. Yeah, exactly. That are you, you know, human to human connection. Right. Totally. Um love it. So that's so crazy how the social pain creates actual physical pain. So think yeah. about, you know, the folks with fibromyalgia or, you know, um, rheumatoid arthritis. And I, I just wonder about how that could have been related to something maybe like this. It definitely is what got my attention. Even like when we look at like our habits being contagious and not maybe necessarily realizing that who we keep around us, we say these things all the time, right? Like the five people you keep around most are the, you know, the people who you become, like we all know that I guess at a conscious level, but to actually see the research of like how other people's habits influence our own. So like if um, your friend's friend's friend who you may never not even know, may never know exists, their uh, likelihood of being obese, so let's say they are obese, you have, I think it's like, I'm not going to make up numbers right now, but you have an increased risk of actually being obese, even though you've never met this person. So our, 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 we are chemically connected. When we talk about happiness and um, depression, uh, for every happy person you have, um, in your life, I think it's your friend's friend's friend. If like, so you're quite far removed. Um, oh. If they're happy, you're li likely to have 12% uh, more happiness or 7% be more happy than if that person was not happy. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about whether, like, what raises your happiness quota if, when you get a raise. Your raise, a, a raise at work increases your happiness by about 2%. And this friend, friend, friend who you may never meet, if they're just being happy, raises your happiness by 7%. So it makes a huge difference who we're spending our time with and saying the negative effects of being around people who are depressed. For every depressed person around, you have um, an increased percentage of being unhappy yourself by like 9%. Whoa. Yeah. So I love, I love flipping it though and going, okay, got it. So you're telling me if I work on my own happiness and like really, really feed that, that I'm going to help 
my friends, friends, friends be happy too. You know, it's like, yeah, legitimately you're making the world a happier place. Literally you are. I mean, it's small acts change the world. Like truly you being happy, you create this ripple. It's so cool. I never knew about that research. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievably important. Um, and it needs to be a priority. And I think that's like, we, uh, as naturopathic doctors can really lead the charge here because we already spend an incredible amount of time, high quality time with our patients. And this is just one other Avenue in which we can help facilitate true transformation um, and, and true enjoyment from the health experience, right? If you're feeling happier about this whole experience and journey, I mean, that really transforms how compliant your patients are and and your ability to help. Yeah. You know, I can say, as I was telling you before we started recording, and I did share definitely like a good amount of it on um, the episode with James Maskell on the community cure. But last year I had uh, a postpartum whole thing and I had to go to a mental hospital for a week. And after that, I was in an outpatient uh, facility for five weeks. And it was actually, I look back on it as an incredibly, incredibly awesome experience, truly, because in each of those settings, it was very group-based and it was so effective for me. Like, I feel like I skyrocketed in my, um, in my healing because of that. I think that if I had been working one-on-one, I probably would still be working through like the shame of all of that happening. But because I actually did it in a group environment, I feel really proud of it. And I feel excited to be able to help other people. And, you know, and I also started to feel so connected to other people dealing with the same stuff. I mean, I had to really take my ego and all of that aside. Like I was not a doctor in that facility. Like I didn't even tell people I was a doctor. Like I was truly in it with them and it was, it was just incredible. So I can attest to that personally for sure. Well, that, yeah, it gives me goosebumps to hear you say that because I I would say that's excuse me, that's my observation as well, is that when we put individuals together in a collective that you really help to radically shift the shame that's experienced and you normalize the experience, which is probably what helps with the not experiencing shame or not beating yourself up over something, right? So I think it it is so, I, I think circles are just so powerful. I think when we have to sit and be human and show up as our vulnerable self, and you're probably in one of the most vulnerable states of your whole life, which yeah. is why um, <laughs> that will be forever transformative for you. For it's sure. Like, and it's, it's funny, I just had this like little recent memory pop up that I was at a grocery store recently, and the, the guy who was working there, he was um, putting stuff on the, the shelves, um, some products on the shelves, and I noticed him because we were in the hospital together, and then we also ended up being in the outpatient facility together. He's the only person that I recognized after in the group in the outpatient program. And he's young. He's like maybe 18, 19 years old. And I saw him and it was like, oh my gosh. He's like, hey, we gave each other a hug. And it was like so awesome. And he's like, we just started started chatting. And he and I was talking something about work. And he's like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> he didn't, had no idea. And I said, I'm a doctor. And he goes, really? I was like, yeah. And he's like, wow. And I could tell he was like so amazed. And it was just, it was so cool because we were just human to human. It wasn't yeah. like, there was no hierarchy in any way. Well, I love that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So let's talk about how you do this in, in your practice. Can you kind of say how, how you, how you work? So I, I guess now I'm seeing it from a different light because, uh, Dr. Or sorry, James Muscal has showed me how he thinks what I'm doing is, um, so revolutionary from other community health programs is I think what we've done successfully here is demedicalized the experience because I think for a lot of people, if um, 
being part of a community is still like in, from a from a health perspective is still it's still radical. It's still a bit rebellious, right? Because yeah. we're not realizing that this is an important part of our health, and we've never engaged in healthcare in this fashion. So it it can be hard to sign up for, right? It, it, it you're not like. Totally. Super attracted, especially if it's like, oh, it's the anxiety group. I mean, vulnerability yeah. is like the biggest, I mean, it's so scary for people. That's why right. being down is so amazing now. Cause it's like, oh my gosh, this big groundbreaking thing in vulnerability. Cause people are so disconnected. So yeah, I could, I could see that as being a yeah. little, little scary at first. Yeah. So I think, you know, um, for us, what has been the secret sauce of our success is, is not focusing on the pathology, but focusing on the outcome. How, what is it that we want pe- women to believe is possible for them at the end of this experience? Whoa. So we're always talking about the aspirational change versus you have anxiety, dun, 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 right? Yeah. Like it's, um, and I think that really has helped uh, de- demedicalize it and destigmatize it for them. So they're like curious. I, we are all lonely. We all want to be a part of a community. So we need to think about how do we get butts in the seat? How do we get them here? Because once we have them here, like the community is the medicine. It is what facilitates the transformation. So once they're there, it's like really easy. So it's like, how do we get them in the door? And so I'm really careful about the, the language that I use and I'm really, um, somewhat elusive. And I, I really want people to be curious. I want to ignite their curiosity to get them to come learn about what we're about. And so we um, have a 10 month program, which is a bit of a dream. Like I know it's a lot to get people to engage or commit for 10 months, although it's never been a problem here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand like that can sound intense, but we meet once a month for two hours. Mm-hmm. And then they have ongoing support if they want in like a private Facebook group. So there's online support to facilitate or continue the conversation. And then I really wanted the duration of the program to be long enough because what I cared about was connection. And so I didn't, for me, didn't think if it was, um, if it was too short, it wouldn't really f- facilitate um, connection. And I also made it a closed group intentionally because I thought if it was like drop in, there, there would right. be no way of consistently creating the community piece. And so, you know, we talk about health, we teach women about their body, we talk about the divine feminine. So we've literally taken concepts about intuition and um, like the wild woman archetype, like trusting our body and speaking our truth and listening to our gut and intertwine that in with the physiology we know and we wish every woman had access to. So we teach them about their menstrual cycle and their thyroid and their digestive system and their detoxification pathways and their blood sugar regulation. And then we tie that into like the energetics of that, which I think it's the mix that um, women really, really enjoy to learn about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we make, we make a lot of intentional time to actually talk and share. How many what people I, do you have in the group usually? Uh, 20. We sell out at 20. I currently have a group right now of 28. So, you know, it varies, but 28 is a little big. (laughs) They're a lovely group. So it's actually worked very well, but that communities have their own energetic properties that, you know, every group is different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was a real risk on my end to let 28 women in, but I didn't want to turn anyone away either. So. Now me as a highly sensitive person and so <laughs> how, how would I, as the doctor be able to 
protect my energy and be able to be available for 20 plus people. Are you more introverted or extroverted? I'm an, I'm a ENFP. So I'm the most introverted of the extroverts. So <laughs> okay. I, I do very well being alone for long, long periods of time. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. one big thing with community is like the recoup time for the empaths. Um, it's mm -hmm. so heart centered. It's such vulnerable work. It, the vulnerability hangover is real. Yeah. Okay. So I'd say the biggest thing is leaving yourself enough time after to recover from that. Are you the same way or how are you? Wired? I'm an extroverted introvert too. I need to okay. do more like understanding uh, where I fall on that. But yeah. you, you see me in a group setting, I am incredibly extroverted. Same. So totally. I find... I find the big group like soul nourishing. I feel it fills my cup. And I feel like when I hear people share, like it's the humanity, it's the human experience. When I hear that and I'm tethered to that, it fuels my cup in a way that I can't even explain, which is probably again, what gets me out of bed every day because I'm like, I wish every woman had access, access to this because it's the most beautiful transformative experience ever. Mm -hmm. I've learned that not, um, all people have that same experience. Some, right. some people are so introverted that the big group kind of swallows them up and it drains them. Yeah. So we've carved in time to do breakout sessions and smaller group activities oh, to fill the cups of the introverts. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you, you meant the, in, okay. You're talking about introverts that are actually in the group, not necessarily the doctor who's like, no. Like, yeah. So yeah, that the, makes sense. the doctor themselves, I, I, I really think it's more about carving enough prep time to feel really grounded to the experience and way more vulnerability hangover time. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that was my biggest learning curve was like, wow, I need some, I, I need some really hardcore self-care strategies like biomats and infrared sauna and floats wow. and ways of like resetting because it's, it is such a beautiful thing, but it's almost like so heart explosive. It's yep. so uh, you know what I mean? Like you're so energized by it, but it's like, where does that energy go? Totally. Yeah. I've done a lot of like, you know, transformational, like per personal growth stuff over the years. And I, I just watched the facilitators. And I'm like, they are amazing, but I know tomorrow they're going to have to do some real grounding stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like grounding mats. Like it, it is, it's just, it's just a part of it. Like now yeah. even when I'm talking to other facilitators who are launching Rebel Tribe is like, you just need to know that that's part of the process because this is the most beautiful human experience, but it, it's, you still have to help your body handle that charge. Right. So, yeah. um, how many of these 10 month programs have you done? I've been doing it for three years in our clinics. So we went from having one, uh, once a month and now seven to eight a month in our clinic alone. Whoa. So you have a bunch of concurrent groups that are going at the same time. Yeah. We actually have like three rebel tribe, like 10 month programs run by naturopathic doctors. Whoa. And then the, the connection piece that we developed was so solid that the women don't want to separate at the end of the 10 month curriculum. So we keep creating curriculums for them. So we have rebel tribe alumni, rebel tribe rise. We just keep creating really cool, um, curriculum for them that are very so you're much creating a structure for other clinics to use. Yes. So gotcha. now there's, there's seven, um, there's seven to nine right now currently launched across Canada. Mm -hmm. And I think springtime, we're actually going to be in the U S well, I think it may come down to San Diego. Hello. <laughs> I would love for that to happen. We can make that happen. Yeah. Um, we got to talk more about it. Cause this is something I, I for sure want to be able to to do. Well, and that's the thing. I think for me, I realized that, um, that this was 
really transformative and the way we've gone about it seems to really resonate with women. So if this resonates for other clinicians, like why recreate the wheel and save yourself some adrenal burnout? Cause it's all done for you. Well, that's the whole thing is like, I get caught up in the details and the stress of all of it. And like, but, but the actual, like once I'm there with people, I know that it's just magic because I feel like that's where I would really shine, you know? Well, and that's what you've experienced even on a, like uh, on the level of your IV suite, right? It's like, exactly. it's just, yeah, it takes care of itself. So yeah, so it's shine. Help if guys, yeah, if you guys listening haven't been to Shine yet, you it's it's a pretty tiny little space. But the first room when you come in, and the on the right is our IV lounge, and there's four chairs, but they're they're in a in a circle, and and so it's been we didn't I I knew intuitively this is how it was going to go. I knew, but it's really cool to see how it's come to fruition where the patients, they get to know each other. They exchange numbers, you know, business connections happen in there all the time. And I mean, it's, it's really cool to see. That's definitely a big part of the medicine. And I noticed that the patients who do like the full IV package get better a lot faster. I think obviously the benefits, the IVs, but I also think a big part of it is they just, they come in, they get the pampering and they get that community healing feeling. Yeah. And I'm sure they look forward to their, their appointment, like no, nothing else, right? Like it's, it's just such a beautiful facet to healthcare. And I love that James Mescal says that like the people who are lonely are the ones who end up in our office. And so it's like, we may as well just take action on that. And like, facilitate the true healing because what we learned is that when we actually started offering community as part of our healthcare experience, you know, women really leveled up in their life and they got brave and they really got very clear about facing their obstacles to cure. You know, if they were in a marriage that wasn't serving them or they were in an emotionally destructive friendship or a job that was like really not soul nourishing, we saw these women take brave action because they felt connected. They felt um, heard and they felt brave. And so they just trusted the next step. And you know, as well as I do as naturopaths, like we, we need those out of the way if we really want to transform our health. And so when I really started to evaluate, am I helping people? This is where I can now say like, absolutely. I really think I'm helping to make an impact in this world and helping women level up and experience the health that they deserve and the life and the passion that they want to have in their life. You're so on fire and so many doctors are so like, it's almost like they're the way that they practice just shrivels their own spirit because they went into it because they wanted to help people and they just get so disenchanted as the years go by, realizing it's not working. Their patients are not happy. They're just now managing symptoms. Yeah. Well, this breathed life in my practice. Like, I mean, I resonate with that, you know, physician burnout so dearly. It it is a hard profession to be in. And I think, you know, when we can provide different ways for us to engage with our patients and provide different types of healthcare, it really can transform the experience. And like we were saying a little bit beforehand, and I think the nice benefit for physicians is that you're having higher level conversations in your one-on-one practice. Therefore, you're not repeating yourself over and over. Like, please drink more water. Yeah. Please drink more water. I think you need to poop more than once a week. This is important. Right. Like, if you're teaching them all of that. Now they're coming in your office and they are having very high level health conversations. Right. Which is so great for the physician too. Totally. It's so much more fun. And, and it's like that good social pressure. It's like good peer pressure. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just well, it's done so well that it doesn't even feel like pressure. It's just like these are the facts, and it becomes a no-brainer experience. Well, like, let me ask you: the private 
just more logistically, the private Facebook group, is that one group for all the, the different 10 month programs or is it great, individual great ones? question. They're individual for the time that they're okay. in individual journey. I think that's and then good. They all yeah. Get, they, yeah. Because there's lots of really um, vulnerable information, right? Totally. So, um, and especially the more they go through these programs, the conversations get deeper. So we keep those private always. And yeah. then all of them move into a Facebook group called Rebel Tribe Forever. And so across Canada, there's all these rebel women that are plunked in together that can share resources and connect and communicate and um, have each other's backs, which is lovely. And I'm sure it's, what are the age ranges in this, in the groups? Yep. So we have any, anywhere between mid twenties to mid sixties. Cool. Yeah. But you, do you just want like over 18 or do you, do you care if they're younger? Or, you well, know? <laughs> I get so many questions about this. I love this. Um, I, I really, when I was developing this was really into like looking at the historics of, of tribes, tr tribes of women. And so for me personally, I, so badly crave a diverse age of women yeah, for the perspectives. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Other, I find other clinicians are like, can I have a perimenopausal one? Can I have a teen one? And I think mm. a teen one specific would be really good actually, but yeah, um, true. that's true. But I'm like, you can totally, if you feel like you have the population and it's interesting because I find, um, older women very resistant if there's not enough other older women in there. So mm. I think this is a reflection on our society and mm. how we don't celebrate women as we age and therefore they feel very insecure about wow. um, engaging. It, it's so interesting, but the last launch we just had, age came up in the info session and it was such a triggering topic. And I'm like, what do we need to do to help shift this narrative for women because literally as we age and as we become postmenopausal, we are literally the most powerful, most wise. We need to be looking to those women. We need to um, celebrate them and that's not how they feel. And, and so it is actually incredibly hard to get for me to get a varied group of women, but I wish, yeah, anyone, any woman who wants to be involved, I want them involved. That is my desire. Yeah. Wow. I just think of, I'm in Southern California. So if any older women experience, you know, stress to, to look like they're 15 years old, it's definitely here. I right. mean, women feel so much pressure, like plastic surgery, this and that, and it's not nearly as bad as LA, but I really, I mean, my heart goes out to these women because they're so gorgeous and so beautiful and just like they really get to own that. So I would love to be able to bring that more here. It's, it's really fascinating and it's something to, important to unpack. And to me, it will be a beautiful thing when we see that shift and when women who are older feel proud to be like the most trusted members in the tribe. Like that to me will be like a huge win because it's such a challenged narrative right now. And I'm like, man, we have work to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I know I had other questions, but that just like took over my whole brain because that's such a, <laughs> that's such a. Well, that was a good topic. question. I've never been asked that before. And it really is. I'm just realizing societally how, how big of an issue this is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm also thinking how, you know, every month I meet with a, a group of women myself. I've done a lot of work with PAX. Have you ever heard of PAX? It's a uh, Alison Armstrong. It's her training. Um, 
she's all about like teaching women about men. That was like her whole thing. She's kind of like the man whisperer. So she really loves to teach women about men, but it's changing the way that we see men, loving men, not thinking that they're these scary, awful creatures, but like loving them and all all the things. So that's a bigger conversation. And she actually was on the podcast. So I'll put that in the show notes for you guys who want to go down that rabbit trail. But, but she has different breakout groups all over, I think the country and they're, they're called queen salons. And so we meet once a month and I'm the youngest in the whole group. Um, and the women are up and, you know, into their seventies and we just meet for, um, you know, from 10 to 12 and it, we'd literally, and there's like a, it's kind of like what you do, but it's not from a health focus. It's really just from like a, a kind of supporting each other. And I love it so much to be around women who are, who are older than me. Cause I learn, I learn so much about how, I mean, I just, I, I respect the wisdom. I love it. Yeah. I get so much from it, but, um, but I feel like it helps us to relate to each other in the different generations and. And I also really feel like having, having the younger folks in the group with the older folks is especially good for them just to learn respect for their, their elders and realize, you know, they don't know and everything. Realize how much they know, right? Because right. You, if you're looking at your mom, you're like, yeah, mom. Right. But right. if you're looking to this other woman who just, is just so worldly and wise, you're like, wow. Like yeah. we had one woman who was so in her power in her sixties. And when she wasn't there, the group missed her. Whoa. Like, like it was tragic for them. Like, mm-hmm. so, you know, there is that I've seen the potential. I know what's possible. It's yeah. just if you could help more women own that power and exactly and be so proud of it. What advice would you have for someone listening who they're kind of out, they're an island, they're out maybe in the Midwest somewhere, or who knows, maybe in another country, they're feeling like they're just so far from their, their people. They just feel so lonely and isolated. What, what can they do to start to um, shift this? Two, well, a couple of things. But I'm going to first say like, um, to know that this is so important to prioritize it. The first thing is to realize we need to prioritize this as key. And I think the other important thing to drive home is that the research is super solid, that connection can be with one other person. You do not need to have a large community to get the health benefits of connection. So it's really about making time and prioritizing people who lift you up make you feel energized and nourished by the conversations and time spent with them. Yeah. If, if you don't know what that looks like, then it's like checking in and texting on people, not assuming that they're, that they've forgotten about you, but just going, being brave and, you know, taking action and, and reaching out to people as much as possible when you feel like it. And yeah. for a lot of women, if, if you have a, a predominantly female audience, you know, a lot of women feel the most brave around ovulation. So if around ovulation time, you've got a little extra energy, then take the time to get out, go connect, go to a restaurant, connect with friends, text, be brave. Those are really, it's a really good time to leverage for, for women. Um, you know, if, if you are particularly isolated and don't know where, where to even begin, think about some hobbies you like to start doing and engaging in, or even getting on Facebook and joining groups that are in alignment with your core values, uh, spiritually or as a hobby, like a knitting group or creative group or health group and get online to get offline. So make connections and then actively make attempts to meet people in person. Mm-hmm. Travel, uh, volunteers, a wonderful group mm. thing to do to get you engaged with community, um, which really elevates and um, supports us feeling joy and fulfillment. Um, 
looking at even local community offerings, like going to the library and see what's going on with your community, right? Right. Or don't even have an agenda. Just go to where people are. Yes. And people watch. See what happens. Yeah. People watch. Right. Exactly. Totally. And for some people, if you really truly are so farly isolated, like consider moving if it's possible because right. um, being connected to a community is super important. I just think back to when, uh, like back in the day, I had this short period of time between my undergrad and when I went to naturopathic school and I was taking all of it because I didn't take any science classes in my undergrad. So I had to go back to community college for like two and a half years and take everything. It yeah. was awesome because it was, yeah, I was able to shadow a doctor and it was just great. But anyway, during that time I lived out in the sticks. It was in Colorado, out in Firestone, if anyone knows where that is. And I was so freaking lonely and I did, and I was in this beautiful house, like a four bedroom house. We had just bought it. I, I bought it with, with me and my dad. So I like owned it part, part of it, but it was like, I had no reason to be sad, but I was totally just so depressed. And it just made me really realize I would rather live in a cardboard box, like around people than, you know, in a beautiful mansion all by myself. It was a good realization. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about cardboard box. I, you know, I'm like, <laughs> head, but you get the, you get the drift. Totally. totally. Yeah. Um, anything else about this that would be good to leave well, with I'm our fe- listeners. I'm feeling guilty because I, I didn't have like the exact statistics, but I have them for you now. Can I say them for you really yeah. quick? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So 80% of those under 18 years of age and 40% of those over the age of 65 report being lonely at least some, some of the time. Mm. And 15 to 30% of the general population suffer from chronic loneliness. Mm. And then another statistic I have is 70% of, of, 17% of adults 65 and older are isolated, mm. like physically. 26% have an increased risk of early death due to subjective feelings of loneliness. And 46% of, uh, 46% of women over the age of 75 and older live alone. So these are yeah. things just to be screening for in our office and having conversations about. Yeah. My, there we uh, go. My, I just my, really wanted to give you the right numbers. No, I, it's good. It's, <laughs> it's good to have the exact numbers. My uh, my grandma, she just passed yesterday, and oh, I'm she. So sorry. Yeah, we're all. Thank you. We're really happy for her because um, we know she's in heaven and she's just like stoked right now and living her Lovely. best life. But um, but she was once um, she went into a group environment. At first, she was really pissed, you know, because she was always <laughs> yeah. pissed about everything, even yeah. though she's like the cutest woman. But she, um, she started to really thrive and it really, I think it extended her life quite a bit. So I can really attest to the power of community in all generations, especially in the, the elderly. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, yeah, I thank you so much for having me on because I think this is just a conversation that, um, we need to have more frequently and realize for that sure. even though there might be temporary discomfort with change of immersion into community, the long-term impacts are amazing. Well, and also too, if you're super uncomfortable and freaked out, the other people probably are too. So just know you're not the only one who's freaked out. So, you know, if that helps. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so brilliant. You're right. Because when you actually learn how similar you are to everybody else, you're like, wow, okay. Yeah, it's not just my stuff. There's nothing new under the sun. It's true. (laughs) Well, um, thank you so much for being my guest. How can people um, continue to follow what you're doing? Thank you so much. You can find me on all social media platforms, uh, you know, with using your time management wisely. Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Under Dr. Michelle Paris and it's P-E-R-I-S. 
and we are at thepoppyclinic.com and I actually have my new personal website. So it's michelleparis.com as well. And you can see all of our podcasts, Rebel Talk and all of our Rebel Tribe information there. So wonderful. Well, thanks again for being my guest. It's just been a joy having you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.